Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you are a regular listener, then thank you. I am so aware of how many amazing podcasts are out there and how time poor we all are. So that you choose to listen to the Motherkind podcast makes me very happy and I am endlessly grateful. So thank you. My mission with this podcast is to inspire you to reconnect back to yourself, whatever that might look like for you. Perhaps it's reconnecting with your health and self-care. Maybe it's looking at your career and your relationships, or maybe how you talk to yourself. And finally, looking at being kinder to yourself. So I talk to therapists, doctors, naturopaths, coaches, career experts, and everything in between to help you become your happiest, healthiest, and most alive version of you. Because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So on to this week's episode. This is a mega one. I am so excited to share this with you all. It is with Bryony Gordon, who really needs no introduction, but just in case you haven't seen her amazing work, Bryony is a journalist at The Telegraph. She has two amazing columns there. She is also the author of three books, The Wrong Knickers, Mad Girl and Eat, Drink, Run. And she has another book called You Got This, which is coming out in May. She's also the founder of Mental Health Mates, is an incredible advocate for mental health and body positivity, and she is also mum to a little girl. So I just loved meeting Bryony. It's funny when you meet someone that you have followed and admired for so long and you get to sit down, we sat down on her sofa and chat. I was quite nervous and I think that might show a little bit at the start, but I really enjoyed chatting to Bryony and we start off chatting about our shared experiences with recovery, with 12-step recovery, her on the AA side and me on the Al-Anon side. I think a lot of people assume that mental health advocates, they kind of stand up on stage and they're better and they're well. And actually, I feel like I'm a work in progress and I'm sort of showing that progress to people as I go along. And we talk about her own experiences of mental health. We also have really interesting discussions around motherhood and the type of mother that she is and how she is parenting her daughter. And because her new book, You Got This, really she wrote it, she said, for her teenage self, for everything that she wished she had known back then. So we spend some time chatting about that, you know, what she wished she had known and what we as mothers can do to help our children if we think they may be struggling. The most important things you can do for yourself when you're growing up is learn really important life skills, like how to save money, how to look after your stuff, make your bedroom a sanctuary, you know what I mean? So it's little things like that that I never learned. And then at the end, I asked Bryony some quick fire questions, but not your usual quick fire questions because it's me, they were pretty deep, (laughs) but Bryony answered them brilliantly. So that's right at the end. I hope you enjoy that. And yeah, as ever, if you enjoyed the episode, then please do leave a review and pop over to Instagram, otherkind underscore Zoe, and let us both know what you thought. I really hope you love this one. I know I certainly did. Here it is. 
Thank you for coming round to my house and doing it. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, it's only five minutes down the road. <laughs> well, I haven't made that bigger an effort. <laughs> and also the first time I, well, the only other time I've met you was in Whistles, wasn't it? Down the road. I basically fangirled Bryony. I jumped on you in whistles. I love it. It's great for my vanishingly small self-esteem. When that happens, it doesn't happen. I'm not like Madonna. Like It's not like I it can't walk down. It must happen quite a lot. But when it happens, people are like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, why are you apologising? Of course, I love it. I'm like, hi. The funniest thing was recently, I was walking down the Northcote Road near where I live. Someone came up to me and I was like prepping myself to be like all kind of humble. And they were like, <laughs> they asked me for directions to the common. I was like, my husband was wetting himself. Like, <laughs> oh, Bryony. Yeah. So anyway. Does it feel surreal to have the profile that you have? Now? Oh, I think what is surreal is that all of the things that like... I am quote-unquote celebrated for. It's always really difficult to, like, speak about this kind of stuff without wanting to, like, vomit everywhere. But all the stuff for which I am celebrated for was all the stuff that made me feel very alone and like a freak for, you know, a good three decades of my life. So (laughs) that's the surreal bit. Isn't that the way it goes often? Is, like, the things that bind us in shame... The Mm. secrets that bind us in shame are often our... The things that set us free. Exactly. Yeah, and it pleases me. Like, I think also you have to, like, keep your head about you. And I think that there are some really fun bits to my life now, like being on the cover of Stylist or winning an award or whatever. But really, life is us sitting here on my sofa which I've like literally just it's so filthy and I'd like to say that this is from my daughter my five-year-old but actually it's from me eating on my sofa in front of Netflix every night you know like this is reality of life so yeah some bits are surreal but it's really nice to be doing work that takes the negatives from your life and turns them into positives yeah, well, there's that cheesy phrase, but I do like it, which is wounds into wisdom. Oh, I've never heard that. Oh. Is that like a recovery phrase? Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard that one yet. There's so many, isn't there? I love that, you know, nearly two years in, I'm still hearing new phrases. Oh, I'm 12 years in. 12 years? I wow. still hear new phrases. Do you talk quite openly about it on yeah. this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm in Al-Anon, okay. which is like the other side. Oh, yes. It's where my husband should be. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I shouldn't have said that. Scrap that. My husband's <laughs> perfectly fine. I'm in AA, which I love. And you're two years in. I'm just over 18 months. Well, congratulations. And um, I feel so relieved to have it because after this I can go to a meeting. I can sit quietly for an hour and just collect my thoughts, right-size my problems and remember that it's all going to be okay. This time two years ago almost to the day, my career was, like, really right on the rise. Off the back of Mad Girl. So Mad Girl had just come out, and then I think it was about this time in 2017 that I sat down and did the interview with Prince Harry. Just that little thing. Yeah, but it was all weird, and I was, like, training for the marathon, and everything was, like, really kicking off in the best possible way. It's so weird because I think a lot of people assume that mental health advocates, they kind of stand up on stage and they're better and they're well, and actually I feel like I'm a work in progress, and I'm sort of showing that progress to people as I go along because I wasn't sober when my girl came out. I wasn't sober when I wrote it. Like, a lot of that book was written in a kind of, like 
you know, because it was quite a painful, oh, sounds so cheesy, but I, you know, I would sit down in the evening with like two bottles of wine and just write. You of know? course you did, because if you were bringing up that stuff that mm. you hadn't been able to deal with without alcohol, mm. then of course you would need to keep the alcohol as part of that dynamic. But I see now that it too was, much. I see now that it was all part of the process of me getting better. Like that's how I needed to go on my journey. Oh my god! Like literally. I love talking about journey. people listening, going to be like, it's so funny. But all of the things that I would have wanted to vomit like two years ago all of this or three years ago all the stuff that I've been like that is so cheesy now I'm like really accepting and I find that the better I am the more recovered I am the less cynical I am Mm. if someone comes to me and tells me that they're like spiritual and that the universe keeps giving them messages I don't roll my eyes and mentally file them in the roller decks of don't be friends with this person I'm like that's what they want to do let them do it like I don't have a problem with that and whatever makes you happy whatever gets you through the day it's none of my business well recovery has given me such a perspective Mm. I think because what I've got from recovery and sitting in those rooms I'm sure Mm. you have the same it's like there's all walks of life with all different backgrounds all different beliefs and yet when everyone takes their masks off we're all All the the same. same yeah and I think when I'm out and about I really take that with me and it's really helped me with that judgment and that tolerance yeah the judgment is way down and I find it quite shocking when I go out sometimes when I'm with people who aren't in recovery sometimes the judgments that you hear people come out with about people they don't even know do you know what I mean like you hear it with people like you know people sitting there going oh I can't stand the name of some celebrity or high profile person they've never met and I'm like I don't know this person why am I going to spend any amount of my day worrying about what I don't know Angelina Jolie or someone from a reality TV program is doing let them be I can't you know what I mean it's like it's when I always see this whole massive like fuss about Meghan Markle and all of that and I'm like why like what's like really what is the problem she's a woman who's doing her job and doing it quite well and why are you spending any time worrying about it how does this intersect with your job as a journalist because as a journalist you know I guess you don't write stuff like that anymore but I don't write stuff like that no I don't I don't think it intersects I think the interesting thing is that my journalism has become very kind of mental health led Mm. and it's become quite positive and it's become about making positive changes so it doesn't matter really Mm. for me like I don't have to sit down and write a column like I do two weekly columns in the Telegraph and I have been at the Telegraph for 20 years now I can't believe it yeah and I remember in my early career, like, I thought if I wanted to be a columnist, I'd have to be kind of waspish and bitchy and all of that. And then what I discovered was, was that I could try and ape other columnists or I could just be me, you know. And that's the thing that has got me the biggest scoop, journalistic scoop of my career, you know. Prince Harry sat down and told me that because he knew I wasn't going to be like... Afterwards, when we had the chat, he said to me, you know, I couldn't have done that with, I guess, a kind of proper journalist who was going to ask all the really probing questions. And so that is a softer way. And it doesn't, you know, some people don't like to do it. It's what I do. So being me and not being waspish has kind of like actually given me the biggest scoop of my career. And arguably... Isn't that that so important for people to hear? Because I know in my like early 20s, I spent the whole time trying Mm. to figure out who should I be? Yeah, yeah. And yet, I was there all along. Yeah, it's like, just be you. Just, a, what, what is, I mean, I deal with this a lot in my, my new book, which is a mental health book for teenage girls called You Got This. And it starts with, 
that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had a million answers for that. You know, I still do like Arsenal footballer, marine biologist, unicorn, preferably all at the same time. But, you know, really what my answer was, I want to be a little bit less like me. And we see this all the time. We hear that word aspiration and who do you want to be like? And it's like, what, you know, and I always, when I get asked that question, who are your role models? I find it really hard to answer it now because I'm like, well, there are people I really admire and who I find really inspiring, but I don't want to like model myself. You know, that idea that you have to turn into someone else, I find problematic and at the heart of a lot of the problems that young girls face. So for example, when we talk about diversity and seeing different women that look different, they have different body shapes, different skin color, different body experiences. So seeing women who have had mastectomies and, you know, all the rest of it and seeing scars and all that. The purpose of that is not some sort of right on posturing. Like what it does is, I remember when Cosmopolitan put Tess Holiday on the cover mm-hmm. And Tess Holiday, for those who don't know, is a size 26 model. Beautiful. Beautiful. But there was a kind of big uproar, which was, oh, it's promoting obesity. And I waded into a row on Twitter with someone about it. And they said to me, I would be as horrified if my daughter wanted to look like Tess Holiday as if she wanted to look like, say, Kate Moss. And my response to that was the point of having Tess Holiday on the cover is that your daughter doesn't want to look like anyone. Your daughter just wants to look like herself. Like she accepts that people all look different. So, you know, like, oh, look, Tess Holiday can be celebrated. Kate Moss can be celebrated. You know, there's a million different ways to look. And I think that when I was growing up and probably, you know, how old are you, Zoe? 35. 35, yeah. So I'm a bit older than you, 38. Oh, a whole three years older than you. But when we were growing up, there was one way to look, basically. Mm. And it was predominantly white, slim. And the thing is, is that, When you have those kind of very uniform pictures everywhere, you know, on the telly, magazines, on billboards, you know, when we only celebrate one kind of beauty or one kind of body or one kind of look, you know, it has those sort of things where you're like, oh, well, I need to aspire to look like someone else or be like someone else. And, you know, actually... I fought so hard against being me that I nearly killed me. Do you know what I mean? Like the alcohol, the drugs, they were all like, I do not feel comfortable in my own skin. I do not like me. And when I get out for my tits, when I pick up a bottle of wine or a beer or whatever, or get ground a Coke, I am like, I can be the kind of the person that I'm supposed to be. And all that shit in my head is kind of silenced Mm. while I'm on it. Do you know what I mean? Obviously it all comes back amplified the next day. So not wanting to be me is at the heart of every dumb, stupid decision I've ever made in my life. I don't want to be me. I'm going to go for this man that I think is perfect and da-da-da, who treats me like shit, you know. All of that kind of like self-esteem was all at the at the heart of it was sort of self-loathing. And that sounds quite extreme, but I don't think it is, you know. I hear it all the I time. Relate. I had self-loathing. Yeah, self-loathing is kind of normalised. Yeah. And it's kind of become, in Britain, we call it self-deprecation, you know. And there's actually a massive difference. And I, massive difference. I really do hear it. I see it so much in messages I get sent on Instagram and emails I get of people like, oh, I just hate myself. I hate myself. Why can't I be more like you? I get that a lot. And I'm like, because you're you. Like, why do you want to be like me? Like, I'm just me. And But this is interesting to break down because I remember in my early 20s when I was really stuck in a lot of those behaviours that you were talking about, doing anything to get out of my own skin, mm. really, because I felt so uncomfortable. And if someone would have said to me, just be you, 
I would have found that really hard to sit with because I didn't like mm. who I was because I was doing all these behaviours because I had to get to the yeah. core of why I was doing those behaviours. Yeah. And it was actually quite a big thing, you know, 12 years into it and I'm still doing it every day, mm. you know, working on accepting yeah, yeah, yeah. myself and myself. So how do these young girls that you've written this book for, how do they do mm. it? So you're saying be you, but they hate or they think yeah, well, they and hate also, themselves. Like, what I'm saying to people is not anything kind of particularly radical or new. Like, I'm pretty sure my mum said to me, just be you, you know, you're great, all of that. And, and I, why couldn't you hear that? Well, because we can't hear it because of the the cultural noise that tells us that being us is not enough. But I think that is really changing. We are changing. We're seeing much more diversity, but there's still a long way to go. And, of course social media and filters and airbrushing and sort of airbrushing of reality is incredibly problematic. But I think at the heart of it, the thing I try and say, it's kind of like starting off baby steps. Like, Mm. for example, if I was to say to you, I really love your T-shirt. So Zoe's got a really cool T-shirt on that says C'est si bon. It is pretty cool. Now you probably, if I say to you, I really like that T-shirt, you're recovered. You're I'm in recovered. recovery. So I, you're I would going, say thank, thank you. you. But, but I would have said... You would have said, um, oh, God, this thing, it cost £5 from would, Primark. Well, even though it didn't. It didn't. It cost £30 from Hush. Well, it's from the sample sale. Oh, what? You see, so you're even I, doing it down in the... Well, no, I would have said, I would have said, oh, it's just in the sample sale. Now, because I'm in recovery and mm. blah, 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 I know how important it is for me to... Just take Allow, ex- accept that compliment and yeah. know it's true. That so, you wouldn't be saying it if you didn't mean no, it. But also, what I find people do is they take a compliment, then they throw it on the floor, they stamp on it, they set it on fire, then they gom on it to put it out just to check that it's dead. And they go, ta-da, I've turned it into an insult by saying something like, oh, this old thing, I just got it from Primark. It shows off my bingo wings. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this trash talk, I think... The purpose of it is that we think it bonds us with other people and we think it makes us seem like... And and don't get me wrong, like, I'm the queen of trash-talking myself. Like, in many ways, I've made a career out of it. And you did that about your your lovely home. When you came in? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a whole... Whereas I wasn't thinking anything about (laughs) it other than how excited I am to have you on my podcast. I'm so honoured and I'm so excited. And then you talk down your house. I still have that problem. So the little things that we can do... So, for example... Don't say, oh, like when something goes wrong, like when, for example, you know, you drop something or the cake doesn't turn out as it should do or the dinner doesn't turn out as it should do or, you know, you're trying to put something... I'm you write to, the wrong name on email. You write the name on email or, yeah. you know, like me, you break the pendant ceiling light trying to hang up a light lamp, you know, all those things. And I go, oh, such a fuckwit, right? That's my natural reaction. I'm like, no, you're not. You're just a human being. Like, just go, oh, well, that's life, and move on. And I think it's, like, really important, the things that we, you know, we say to But do you know with the compliment thing? I think it's really interesting, because I've thought about this a bit as well, because my mum does it a lot. She used to um, deflect every compliment. Mm. And I used to do the same. And I think subconsciously, when what someone says us doesn't match how we feel on the inside, Mm. it's like it's not a match. Yeah. It's like you're saying to me, Zoe, you look really great. If I didn't feel that way, subconsciously, my mind just goes, that's not true. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like it can't get into the the armour of self-deprecation, self-hate, self-loathing. I think it's really important we do it, especially as mothers. 
Because children will model themselves on their parents. They will learn how to be in life by the way we treat ourselves. And the way we are, not what we say. Yeah. And so, for example, now here's a lovely thing that happened the other day. I went to the wonderful Latchmere Leisure Centre. Gorgeous. You don't know it, guys. There's actually the Maccabees wrote a song about it called Latchmere's Got a Wave Machine. Is that right? Yeah, it's true, yeah. It's a throwback to the 70s. I don't know, I was born in 1980. It was a throwback to the 70s. I remember it from my childhood, sort of, you know, it's wonderful. I love it. Latchmere Leisure Centre, it has a wave machine, right? Brilliant. So we go there probably every weekend. And we were in the group changing room. It's lovely, you know. Plasters on the floor. Plasters on the floor. No, I don't, there's never, I've never seen a plaster on the floor of Latchmere Leisure Centre. Anyway, we were getting changed and I went, oh, my boobs are so big. And my daughter said to me, no, mummy, your boobs are exactly as they are supposed to be. We are all born as we are supposed to be born. And I was like, what? But, you know, I don't think she picked that up at school. I, I think yes. she probably has picked that up, I like to say, from my awesome parenting. Yeah, why so joking? Why I'm not own that? I, because, because here we go, because it's I still, I still find it difficult. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, like I think all of that is really important. So I made that mistake, but mostly I walk around going, no, you don't, you know, when she says, I hate this T-shirt, I'm like, well, it's just a T-shirt. It looks cool. Like, it serves a purpose or... I think it's really important we model to our children. Barring massive scientific breakthroughs, we've all only got one body, do you know what I mean? So we may as well look after it as opposed to kind of doing it down. Or abusing it with, you know, yeah. what I used to do to mine. Yeah. Uh, so what, what else are you with your daughter? <sighs> Not what you're trying to teach her, because I, I guess that sounds a bit you looking down at her, but what are you trying to embody, like that body image thing? I try to make sure that she feels heard. Uh, How do you do that? Well, if she says, I don't want to go to school, I hate school, you know, I don't just go, oh, don't be so silly. You know, I remember growing up, I always felt like I was being quite difficult. And I think a very normal parenting thing has been to say, oh, don't cry, don't, do you know what I mean? The don't, don't cry thing really yeah. triggers me. I think I must have got a lot of don't cries. I know I got a lot of don't cries. Mm. When I hear parents doing it, I find it quite hard to hear because mm. I find it so shaming. Yeah, and I... So, What's wrong with crying? Like, crying's nature's yeah. way of relieving <laughs> emotional or physical pain. Yeah, so I try and listen to her. So even when she's having a tantrum or whatever, as we quote-unquote might call it, I'm like, I hear you, I understand, you don't want to brush your teeth. No one really likes brushing their teeth. I mean, I do like brushing my teeth because it makes my mouth feel nice. But, you know, as a kid, you're like, uh, I totally get that. And I try and listen to her and say to her, you know, we're probably right now, everyone else in your class also doesn't want to brush their teeth. But if they don't, we have to go to the dentist more. Da, 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 da. So instead of just going, you need to brush your teeth, I try and kind of go, oh, you know, sometimes I'm just, I've started getting, I hate you. I'm like, whoa. And I, what you know, say when I she say says to her, that? I kind of, I hear you, but I still love you. And I think that's all you can do is like let people know that they are listened to. And I try and be quite boundary because I didn't, I know I stick to my gun. So if I say no telly, there is no telly. I'm the same. You know, it's really hard, isn't it? I think if you can't go back on what you say. and But I think that's down to everything. Like, if I say to her that we are going to the playground after school and I get to 3.30 and I'm knackered and I'm and I'm exhausted and work have said they need to have a phone call with me, I'm like, I'm still going to take her to the playground. Do you know what I mean? Like, this isn't... I don't want her perpetual feeling to be that she's let down by me. Do you know what I mean? But I'm not like, oh, whatever you want, darling. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think... 
to have those boundaries you know I want a toy well look you can see how many toys she's got do you know what I mean but like we're not getting another toy but this is a really good thing I learned this in recovery I didn't know what boundaries were before Mm. I got into Al-Anon but I've really learned boundaries in recovery which is exactly what you're talking about learning to be consistent learning to be reliable learning to put a boundary down when something doesn't work for me and I do that with Jessie and I really notice the impact that it has on her in a really positive way yeah I think that it is you know it can be hard at first but it's the benefit I always think that anything that feels hard to do This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind the payoff is going to be huge, mm, you know. Mm, I um, love that phrase. I think it's another recovery one, isn't it? Hard choice, easy life, easy choice, hard life. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's true for like, people always say to me, oh, is giving up alcohol hard? And I'm like, well, of course it was hard. If it was <laughs> if it was easy, they wouldn't have things like AA. Or I'm like, yes, it was hard, <laughs> but it's not as hard as the alternative, yeah. you know, which is like continuously yeah. waking up feeling like you're stuck in Groundhog Day. Do you think you'll find it difficult when your daughter wants to drink? I probably will, but I'm not thinking about that now because it's, it's like, projection, you know, it? she's going to be six in a couple of weeks. Got a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I think sometimes I can worry about things like that. Yeah. Like, And I say to my friends, like, I worry, oh my God, what if I have to go to a, like a wedding this summer and I can't drink? And I'm like, do I have to go to a wedding today? No. So I'll think about that when it happens. There's no point worrying about it now. She probably will want to. I do you, don't know. Do you have a mind that quite likes to project anxiety into the future? Yes. Yeah. And what do you mean quite likes? <laughs> quite likes. Oh, yeah. I'm just, oh, that sort of, that's sort of slightly on the fence. That's all my mind knows how to do. <laughs> my mum used to say to me, oh, you're worried when you don't have anything to worry about. So yes, that is my natural instinct, but I try and stop it. It is, I think, just get all your ducks in the row today. Mm. And and that's all you can do. Because obviously you've talked a lot about, in Mad Girl specifically, that you were 12 when you started Mm. noticing these intrusive thoughts. Was that your earliest memory of it? Or do you remember it from earlier than that? (sighs) There used to be some things I would do as a child where I'd have to like, you know, if they were odd numbers and letters in them and that, like lots of little kind of like stuff like that I did from quite a young age, I think. You know, I was a very anxious child, but the really kind of debilitating, unable to leave the house OCD was my first memory of that was when I was 12. It was awful. It sort of, it feels, I mean, it was so long ago. I mean, I just, I was always a very anxious child. And did you write the new book? For that 12-year-old? Totally, yeah. I mean, it's really... (laughs) so funny. I basically... It was all the things I wish someone had told me at 12 that I'm only finding out now at 38. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, she told me that then. We have had to kind of learn the hard way. Um, it's going to be so important for mums to read this book, isn't it? I think when I was writing it, I was like, I really hope actually as many mums will read it as daughters. I really enjoyed writing it. It was really kind of cathartic and helpful for me. I'm excited. I hope it helps people because there's all sorts of things and it isn't just mental health, but it's kind of like well-being, really. So, you know, I, I talk about periods and not discounting your hormones you know that thing oh she's just hormonal I'm like hormones are the most powerful chemicals known to humankind you know you're asking me to discount three months of every year of how I feel you know so it's stuff like that stuff about masturbation you know I was really ashamed of that probably until I was about you know 30 six 37 I think most women still are aren't they? My, like all of my kind of wants and needs I thought was something I should be ashamed of mm. you know when they're not so there's a lot of this stuff like that in it and but also things about friendships and comparisons that you have joy you know and how I always thought you know it's kind of embarrassing now to think about it but I kind of always thought a relationship was going to save me do you know what I mean oh me too and how a relationship is part of you but it isn't all of you so it's there's loads of stuff and there's also stuff about like being more than your chaos do you know what I mean like I remember thinking I had to be exciting and you know but actually the most important things you can do for yourself when you're growing up is learn really important life skills like how to save money how to look after your stuff make your bedroom a sanctuary you know what I mean so it's little things like that that I never learned and why did you never learn them because your mum wasn't modeling those to you or you weren't Just, able I don't think to it was I don't think it was yeah it was a mixture of things but they weren't being kind of shown to me for various reasons but also it was just normal teenage stuff you know like I think no one spoke about mental health no one spoke about sex or masturbation or anything like that other than to say to me if you look at a boy you will get pregnant kind of thing no one talked about how you may be sexuality is a kind of like a spectrum do you know what I mean all those things so yeah you were straight or you were gay I remember yeah there's all that and no you know there were loads of things I didn't know anything about trans or you know like there was just no there was it was just nothing it was like you are you know you look you are like this person that you see on the television and if you're not what's wrong with you Mm. and occasionally a soap might confront an issue that was kind of like thorny do you know what I mean like do you remember like when the first lesbian case Anna Friel yes Beth was it Beth George I mean like literally yes, you, yes. the world the, the country it, went it wasn't um, Brookside Brookside the, the country went batshit crazy because oh, they remember. depicted a woman kissing a woman yeah can you imagine yeah well that um, was our childhood that was the 90s yeah Right? So, like, was yeah, it just I would have been so, like seven or eight. Yeah. So, like, any kind of deviation from the norm was like, well, I must be a weirdo. Yeah, internalizing <clears throat> it rather than yeah. the, the, what's wrong was society, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong but with so, either of us. But, so, that's, but that's, you know, so that's why I felt all of those things. And I'm aware that times are very different now, but also I think there's those kind of perennial things that all girls. Um, boys probably you know you get just like puberty like what the fuck is happening to my body do you know what I mean is it rebelling against me is it you know so it's just a kind of soft gentle way of saying to you know to say people you've got this it's okay such a good title (laughs) did you agonize over it and then it suddenly came to me I was texting my editor we were talking about I was still writing the book and I was like, oh, I'm finding this chapter really difficult. I can't remember which one it was. And uh, she texted me. I was like, you got this. And I was like, that's the title, Debbie. That's the title. 
she was like, oh my God, it totally is. You know, it's funny how things come out of that. There were iterations of it. But I think, you know, the most important thing was I knew that I, what I wanted to write was a book. All the things I wish I'd known at 12, I'm only finding out now at 38. What was the process like? Because you talked about how, you know, the wrong knickers and, mm. and then Mad Girl and how... It was really they formed part of your recovery. How is this book formed? Yeah, well, the this, next layer of your recovery. It's really interesting. So I, it's my fourth book. <laughs> so it's really funny. Wrong knickers. I wrote the wrong knickers. Oh, I loved wrong knickers. <laughs> I do get a lot of people like, yeah. I'm like, I, I, don't, I couldn't. I don't think I could read it now because I'd be just like. Oh. I just really related to it, and I found it. I, yeah, I just loved it. So that was all about my crazy twenties. Yeah. and there was a lot of sex and drugs and not much rock and roll. And that, <laughs> and that I wrote when I was on maternity leave, right? And then I didn't know that a mad girl. Well, I couldn't have written it before then because I was like the end is the end. Yeah, yeah, it's a little like you know I I had to be through that period of my life, and then mad girl. Well, it came out three years ago, and then I wrote eat drink run, which was all about my doing a marathon and becoming the sort of a mental health person. I wrote that when I was in rehab in September two thousand and seventeen. You wrote that in rehab, yeah. Because I have a lot of experience of rehab because of people in my family. But were your days not like well, I did. I did outpatient rehab. Uh, okay. So okay, it was an evening thing, and then during the day I would write, and then this one I yeah I wrote. It was really interesting. I came up with the idea last summer, so in August two thousand and eighteen, and I was on holiday and on like staying in a friend's barn in France. I've had the idea and I called my agent and she was like, it was really interesting because I'm, I was like, I want to write a book for teenage girls. And she was like, um, okay, well, you're contracted. Your next book is you've got to write out getting sober. And I'm like, but I don't want to write about getting sober next. I want to write a book for teenage girls. And she was like, well, that's not what you're contracted to do. <laughs> but then she went out and she got in touch with the children's arm of my publishers. And they were like, yeah, and we just dropped it in. It was like literally I signed the contracts at Christmas, wrote it over Christmas and New Year. And then it's out you in wrote May. wrote it over Christmas and New yeah. Year. So then next I've got to write a book about getting sober. Do you like the process? You must like it the process. Came with, the, the teenage girl one came to me, like it just flew out of me. I just wanted to write it. And it was really kind of like, I, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I it was helpful I took myself away to Somerset for like a week which is something I've never done before I was like because I can find writing quite a kind of introspective well of course it's introspective it can get a bit like sitting in your pants at your kitchen table and I was like I'm I'm going to enjoy this process because I have a tendency to not enjoy it I took myself to Babington House like nice what, one. I don't know why and I just sat well it wasn't the whole week because obviously I'm not made of money it was a kind of three or four days and it was lush and I'd get up and I'd go and have my like posh fluffy breakfast robe. in my plumbing robe go oh. for a swim and then I'd sit down write for a few hours and then maybe like go from do a yoga class and sit back down and then and then I'd do another few hours and then in the night I'd go back to my room I'd get some room service watch a movie go to bed at 8.30 have a bath and I got so much done and it was lovely and it just flew out of me I was also aware that I was like oh I don't know you know I, I've not written for a that kind of market before so I was very conscious that I didn't want it to sound like I was like oh should I do my research about kind of things like YouTubers and Snapchat streaks and all that and I was like actually I don't want to sound like some granny trying to sound cool do you know what I mean like it's just this is the stuff that I kind of have found out it doesn't really matter 
what the cultural references are. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's all pretty much. They're uni- sounds like they're really universal. I think they are. And there's obviously stuff that I don't know about, but it's not, I'm not going to write a book about stuff I don't know about. You know, yesterday someone came up to me and said, what about a book for teenage boys? And I was like, well, I don't know what it's like to be a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know any teenage, like I don't have a son. And and they were like, yeah, but you should. And I'm like, no, why should, Why do I have to write a book for teenage boys? People say boys? that to me all the time. <laughs> they say, why aren't you doing father kind? Because my thing's called mother kind. They were like, it's really exclusive to the fathers. And I said, I don't know what the experience is like of mm. becoming a father. If a son, dad wants to go and do it, I would support him all the way. Yeah, it's like that's kind of, not my experience. It's also that expectation that you have to do everything. And I'm it's not like, a public service. No, exactly. Like, I don't have to do. No, I'll do what I can. It's you know, you're you're not paying for this podcast. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't like it, bugger off. Yeah. Or go and start your own. Go start your own. That's the thing. Kind. I was Enjoy like, it. there are, you know, like, that is not my job. I can only do what I can do. So I want to ask you about the mums, because obviously everyone listening is mums. And I want to... Some, there might be some fathers. Sorry. And there might be some fathers. <laughs> do you know what? The best email that I've ever got was from a husband who emailed to say that his wife had been listening to my podcast and that she was like a different person. Oh, really? Burst into tears. Wow. There was something about it coming from mm. someone not having ever heard it, but witnessing mm. the changes, just, it really... Anyway, by the by, I wanted to ask you, so if someone has got a teenage girl... Yeah. ...and they're concerned about, yeah. you know, from any any spectrum, what advice would you give that mother? What did you need your mum to do when you were 12 like listen but I mean the problem is of course sometimes teenage girls don't want to they ostensibly they make out they don't want to be heard I don't want to talk to you but I think I would have liked to have been heard and I certainly wouldn't want to have felt that I was being difficult in some way like it was something that I was doing on purpose you know I think Mm -hmm. I remember a couple of years ago I did an event and at the end we went to questions as we often do and this woman stood up and she said I think my daughter, she's looking for attention when she says she has depression. And I just said to her, well, maybe give her some attention then. There is still that notion, attention-seeking and all of that. You know, the thing is, it can be dealt with, but it can only be dealt with, and it's hard. And it's it's not easy dealing with someone who has mental health issues. You know, it isn't, and I get that. But we all benefit from talking about it more, ignoring it, wishing it away, doesn't help in any constructive way do you know what I mean often makes it worse yeah it? it does and I think that we benefit more from and I say this in my new book that I think we would benefit more from an attitude in society whereby we accept that bits of our bodies go wrong all the time do you know what I mean our organs major organs our liver our everything well, we get coughs and colds yeah you know? like right now you know our brains also go wrong sometimes and that's okay it's okay and it's like okay well we'll deal with this and obviously you know the system the provision that there is out there is poor oh it's shocking have you had an experience with nhs Uh, mental health you know my experience broadly speaking has been that i have paid for my care so you know for rehab and stuff and um i'm very fortunate that i can do that i hear a lot about cams and it's tricky it's tricky but I think that you know the more that we talk about this the more those services get better and the more that the government is forced to provide provision for them and funding so the only way we get through it is by keeping on 
But also, I think that it's natural if you feel frustrated, sad, cross, whatever, and to make sure you don't you don't forget your needs, you know, because I think actually it was that... As the mother. Yeah. Yeah. Go and talk to someone. I'm not saying you have to go and find professional help, but for example, Young Minds, which are a brilliant charity, they have a parents' helpline. There are places where you can call up and get support and find out the way through. There are amazing support groups as well because someone very close to me has bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And I went and found a family support group Mm -hmm. and that was the best thing I ever did because there were people with bipolar and their families in this, it's much like recovery, sat in a circle sharing. And that was the best thing that I ever did because I could then support and understand from a totally different perspective. Yeah, and it also just gives you time to get it off your chest and process stuff. And I think that's really important to process stuff. (sighs) You know, but also to know that if your daughter has some problems and you know that that is normal it may feel abnormal but it's not it it is normal and to be concerned and worried as well is and it sounds a strange thing to say but it's a wonderful response to have you know like it would be far worse if you weren't you know this is the normal parental response and it's what we do in families, is what we should do, is we should pull together. And I think the other really important thing is, is to not, if you have more than one child, you know, if at all possible, I think it's really important that we don't make children feel like they're in any way taking away from their siblings for being ill. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. You know, I have one a friend who has three children and one of them has complex needs. And she's very rigid about making sure that each child do you know what I mean feels that they have that you know whereas when I was growing up it was a bit like your <laughs> you know your sister lives in your shadow and that's not a helpful thing to kind of hear so I think it's hard but I think it, again it's that thing of it's hard but the alternative which is ignoring it is much harder and you can get through this stuff and you will and there are people out there that you know like I met a man yesterday whose daughter had been in psychiatric care for two years from the age of 14 through to her 17th birthday so just over two years you know but they got through it and she's now thriving and she's involved in lots of music projects so educationally it's I think that just the more that you support your child and let them feel heard and loved so that they know that even when they are in terrible states you still love them and you're Mm -hmm. there for them and they can tell you anything because Mm -hmm. I think one of the key things about mental illness is it isolates you it works in much the same way as an abuser does it thrives in a culture of silence you know what you don't want is your child to feel so isolated and feel that they can't tell you what's going on in their head because they're scared of the reaction that they're going to get you know and that was certainly true with me with with the form of OCD I had I thought I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken away. And, you know, the truth is, is that your weapon, the weapon that you have against it is talking about it. You know, that's when you start on the road to recovery. And also don't try and rationalise it. Don't ever try and rationalise a mental illness and go, well, come on, you know. You you know, because I actually had a mum yesterday talking about how her son has the same form of OCD as me, pure O, and how he was worried that he had said something horrible to someone at school and he was obsessing and ruminating about it. And she said that, you know, her reaction normally is, oh, but look, you didn't, you know that, so just get on. You know, and she now knows that that isn't the right way to do it. And there's lots of things like, you know, we know now that, 
reassuring someone with OCD is not actually the best tactic because it enforces the OCD. There's loads of little things. You can look into it. The Young Minds Parent Helpline is is probably one of the best ones out there. They'll give you the tools and how to kind of start the, you know, they'll give you the basics, you know. I think that's so important for people to hear. Is They'll give you a life raft when you feel like you're drowning. Yeah, because... If you've never been through this or anyone, how on earth as a mother or a parent are you supposed to know how to mm. to deal with it? So I think that's such an important message is to go out there and, and get the support. I wanted to ask you before we close some quick fire questions. Oh, I love a quick I don't, fire I don't, I don't normally do this, but with you, I really wanted to. A quick fire round. But they're not your normal, is it you like, know, pizza or ice colour? cream. No. Oh, okay. Okay, the first one, are you ready? Yeah. What's the lesson it's taken you the longest to learn? Oh, I mean... I- <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say, like, Paul Dark or the lesson it's taken me longest to learn to like myself. What would you put if I bought you a billboard on Northcote Road and you had, like, a sentence? What would you write on it? What would you want everyone to see? You got this. Oh. Yeah, picture in my book. <laughs> available now in all good bookstores. It's not available now. It's not available until May the 2nd. All right, and what are, if you are having a shit time, what are the three things that you you do that make you feel different or better get outside I give myself permission to not feel great I go okay you don't feel great today that's fine just don't feel great then just accept that that is the reality of today I don't try and change the way you know actually the best thing I can do to make myself feel better is to not try and change not try and make yourself yeah just accept that this is it and this is life and that's okay and that's part of my condition I'm peeling off my shellac while I do this it's like (laughs) really old now and I'm like now peeling off loads of my so that but I also think it's really important to get the basics right so sleep nutrition I mean alcohol is not the answer I wanted it to be the answer for a long time and I tried to find the exact amounts of it that would make it the answer, but they actually made it worse. So, you know, I would say, (laughs) I would say, you know, if you can do that, that does help you massively. And final question, Mm -hmm. which is, I ask everyone the same one. If you could give just one thing to all the mums in the world, what would you give? Time. Sleep. I'd give them some sleep. I'd give them some sleep. Who doesn't need more sleep? I'd give them some sleep. I think that would be what they'd like. I'd give them pole dark. (laughs) Sleep and then pole dark. Yeah. Pole dark, then sleep. (laughs) So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back 
in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.